What's going on, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls? It is Friday, February 9th, 2024. And I'm your host, as always, The Pody. A little bit late here on the East Coast. It's a little after 9 p.m., but I'm pumping this episode out for the second straight week. It is Super Bowl weekend. It has arrived. Okay, we've got the 49ers and the Chiefs in Super Bowl 58. Can't get much better than that. I'm excited for a rematch of the 2020 Super Bowl, which the Chiefs won. We'll get into that um, a little bit later and such. Um, We've got a lot to talk about. We had Pro Bowl festivities this past weekend, actually, they started Thursday of last week, which who actually knew that? No, I didn't know that. They don't seem to advertise them very well. Um, that's my big gripe. They were they're getting better. Uh, let me say that they are getting better. They had closest to the pin challenge, precision passing, um, the lineman challenge where these guys had to literally pull plates of weight off of their station and then they run around to the front and there's actually like chains. It's, I don't know, pull the chains or whatever the challenge is. And it's a wall and they have to pull the chains like that the chain crew holds and it's attached to this wall and everyone has to, uh, as a team, pull it against the, you know, NFC NFC versus AFC. And they had to pull, it was like 2000 pounds of, of weight and the NFC won that. That was pretty cool and um it was Eli Manning basically running the NFC team and Peyton running the AFC team and Eli got the best of Peyton once again but the actual pro bowl game is now a flag football game essentially and it had some juice towards the end because it did come down to one final play where the AFC had a chance to win it and uh they were stopped on like fourth and goal so that kind of gave it a little bit of juice but it's still not quite something that you're looking forward to that you want to tune into uh, in terms of all-star festivities or all-star games, if you will, comparatively speaking to the other sports. Um, I had it on kind of in the background while we while I was eating dinner and just paying attention to it periodically. Uh, when it did come down towards the end, though, I, I was definitely paying attention, but it was a long game. It, it lasted quite a while. It was very high scoring. And uh, like I said, in the end, the NFC won for the second straight year. The closest to the pin challenge was awesome. Friggin' hilarious. Some of these guys cannot hit a golf ball to save their lives. It, it's just hysterical. It was an island green. You had to hit it, get closest to the to the hole, basically, to the pin. And um, I'm trying to speak in layman's terms here for those of you that don't play golf, but uh, it was cool. And um, uh, Jake Ferguson of the Cowboys won that. Uh, He beat out Alec Ingold from the Miami Dolphins. Uh, That's pretty much all I've got. Oh, I have one gripe, actually, with um, the Pro Bowl games. It's the only gripe I have is why are you holding it the same week as the Pebble Beach Pro-Am golf tournament. I just don't understand that because Jared Goff, Jared Goff, um, Josh Allen is going to choose the Pro-Am every time. And I would venture out on a limb and say this as well. If you have Patrick Mahomes, who doesn't make a Super Bowl, uh, he might 
will, or will probably choose the Pro-Am as well. So some of the better players, Aaron Rodgers is going to choose the, the, the Pro-Am. I mean, Tom Brady was there. He's retired now, obviously. But so to have the Pro-Am the same time as the Pro Bowl, you know, weekend or whatever you want to call it, the Pro Bowl games is kind of asinine. Um, and speaking of of the Pro Pebble Beach Pro-Am, Wyndham Clark won that um, after shooting a 60 on Saturday which is just ridiculous. Oh my God. And um, that wasn't the lowest round in golf in the past week. We had somebody shoot a 60 today, Nick Taylor at the uh, Waste Management Phoenix Open in Scottsdale. And then we had a guy a few days ago shoot a 57, but uh, I will have more on that in just a second. Uh, but really with that being said, uh, I kind of jumped the gun here, but let's officially dive into episode 233 of This Week in Sports. Okay, obviously the, the big thing I didn't even talk about yet is the NBA trade deadline, which uh, the deadline was 3 p.m. yesterday. That has come and gone. I'll give you all the big trades and guys that we thought were going to get traded but did not. Um, oh, um, so more on the NBA, let's just talk about, uh, one quick name of note, and that would be Zach Levine. So the Chicago Bulls are, they're, they're, they're not having a good season. Obviously they've been without Lonzo Ball now for what, like two years, but I did see a video surface of him recently in the gym and he has been working, shooting at, shooting around. So who knows, maybe we'll see him sooner than we, than we um, anticipated or uh, expected. So, but, but the Chicago Bulls, uh, actually they're in the nine seed right now. They're ahead of my Brooklyn Nets. So I shouldn't be uh, talking too much trash about them but they've been without Lonzo Ball they've been banged up not the team they are supposed to be and now Zach Levine who was a a, a big name that was being floated out there amongst you know players to be traded and that is not going to happen did not happen yesterday because um he's undergoing season ending uh ankle surgery or foot surgery so, uh, yeah, that's just one thing of note that I wanted to get to. Um, next up, the little football, back to football real quick. Uh, the Dolphins hired Baltimore assistant coach Anthony Weaver as their defensive coordinator on Saturday. Weaver will replace Vic Fangio, who mutually agreed to part ways with the Dolphins after spending just one season as their defense coordinator. I thought he did a pretty good job, Fangio, actually. Um, so a uh, little surprising there, but uh, don't know too much about uh, Anthony Weaver. But obviously, if he's coming from Baltimore, they just had the best defense in the league. So, uh, yeah, good for him. And his name's Anthony. He's got the best name that there is. Okay, uh, back to the NBA. Another injury of note. I should have jumped to this before I went to the Dolphins, but Joel Embiid is pretty much going to be done for the season at this point. Uh, the reigning MVP, he was averaging incredible, insane numbers, like 35 points a game, just ridiculous. He has a displaced flap of the meniscus in his left knee. Um, the timetable was all over the place because they didn't know if he was going to get the surgery or not. He has opted for the surgery 
Uh, he's going to be out one to two months. Uh, but again, this is an approximation once they get in there. I don't know if he's had the surgery yet because this injury did happen a little while ago, like a week and a half ago. Um, so things can change. You get in there to check up, uh, you know, to do the surgery and you never truly know how bad something is until you, until you, you know, get in there and open somebody up. So he could be out, uh, until the playoffs, really, if they make it. And this is a team in kind of free fall. And I'll get, again, they, they made some moves at the deadline as well. Um, okay. Um, Back to football. I reported last week that Cliff Kingsbury was being hired as the new offensive coordinator in Vegas. Well, I don't know what happened in the pretty much 24 hours since that, since last week's episode, but Kingsbury pulled his name out of contention for that job and instead is going to Washington. He has been hired by Dan Quinn, who was just named the Washington Commander's new head coach. He will be the offensive coordinator in Washington with the Commanders, and that's interesting, intriguing, um, not surprising for this reason. They have the number two overall pick, Washington, and Cliff Kingsbury just got finished coaching with USC this past year and, and Caleb Williams, the obvious number one pick here at quarterback went to USC and he's from the DC area, went to Gonzaga high school, I believe in the DC area. So my, my um, sources tell me that from what I've been reading up on their ultimate goal is to move up to number one, to draft Caleb Williams and they're going to do everything in their power to do so. If they cannot trade up and get Caleb Williams at number two, I'm being told that they're going to take stay at number two, take um, Marvin Harrison Jr., who's also looked at like he could be the top overall prospect in this entire class, a generational talent uh, out of Ohio State. His father was unbelievable as well. But uh, that's the rumor I'm hearing. They would take Marvin Harrison Jr. at number two if they can't get Caleb Williams. And then because the Bears already have Justin Fields, Washington would try to work out a trade with um, Chicago to get themselves Justin Fields. And that would be pretty damn good in its own right, in my opinion. If Fields can stay healthy, pair him with a young core, uh, Brian Robinson, you know, um, they've got some good weapons. Terry McLaurin is there. Uh, add Marvin Harrison Jr. I mean, that would be a nice, a nice, uh, a nice upgrade. Although they've got a lot of work to do on the defensive side after shipping Montez Sweat and Chase Young and and other guys this past season. So uh, yeah, very interesting when I read that that Cliff Kingsbury was turning down the Vegas job, which in the immediate future looks like it could be the better the better position. But Washington is still intriguing in an NFC East. That really changes from year to year, in my opinion. Yeah, you have Dallas and and uh, Philadelphia at the forefront of that division, but the way Philly finished their season, the way Dallas got bounced in the playoffs yet again, them running things back with McCarthy, losing Dan Quinn, you don't know what they'll be. Philadelphia's resetting with their coordinators, um, so it could be a bit messy in that division, and it could be up for grabs for anybody, really. Okay. Um, I hate to report on this, but 
It's one of the best rivalries in sports. UNC Duke, that was a pretty good game on Saturday. Duke uh, was getting dominated most of this game and throughout, and it was weird that the, the score was pretty tight early on. But uh, Carolina, um, the Tar Heels, kind of, I wouldn't say ran away with this, but they, they built a double-digit lead and kind of, you know, never looked back. They end up winning this one 93-84 behind Armando Baycott. Uh, he had a double-double, 25 and 10. And you look at this kid, man. It is hard to believe he is still in college, that he is, you know, what, 21, 22 years old, whatever he is. It's just, he might even be younger than that. But, uh, yeah, he's an absolute beast. I would not want to go up against him. And and both these teams are good this year. Both of these teams are like top 10 teams. So hopefully we see them make a deep run. Nothing was better than seeing these two teams, you know, battle it out in a Coach K's final year in the Final Four. Okay, on Sunday, this is exciting news for uh, Americans, for especially, um, you know, Californians, but especially New Jerseyans and uh, even New Yorkers. But on Sunday, it was announced that uh, FIFA announced that New Jersey, more specifically MetLife Stadium, would be hosting the 2026 World Cup final. So it, I, it's just unbelievable. Uh, once in a lifetime opportunity, I'm going to do everything in my power to secure tickets to go to MetLife Stadium to watch this game. Um, I'm going to try whatever I can. I'm, I'm not going to be greedy. I just want to go to a World Cup game. Now, if you don't know about... Uh, a lot about my my upbringing. Um, I grew up playing three sports, basketball, baseball, and soccer. Baseball was my number one sport, but soccer came in early on as a close number two because I was I was pretty I was pretty fast, small, you know, had speed, and I was a lefty. So I always played uh, you know, midfield and I was on the left wing all the time and I just had a deadly left foot. And um I always enjoyed playing travel soccer. And then um, I stopped playing after ninth grade because it just got to be a little too much with the two a days in the summer. And I was just like, yeah, this is this is not fun anymore. But um, so, yeah, I, I always get into the World Cup. I'm not like one of these nut jobs that watches the Premier League and all this stuff. But uh, whenever the World Cup comes around, I am glued to the TV. I'm watching pretty much every match that I possibly can. It's just so much fun. And the fact that the World Cup is coming to to America, to Mexico, to Canada is just awesome. MetLife Stadium's like 40 minutes for me, if that. I'm going to do everything in my power to go to any game possible that I can for the World Cup, whether it is a group a group stage match or if I can somehow get tickets to the final. I'm sure they're going to be outrageously priced, but even if I could, you know, flip those tickets, you know, make a good a good profit off them, I would do that. But I do definitely want to go to a game. Imagine going to the World Cup final in your home state like, and just being like, yeah, you could tell that story for the rest of your life that I was there at a World Cup final. And man, imagine just just the, the storyline that would be if the US somehow made it there, even though they're pretty much garbage when it comes to the sport of soccer compared to the world powers where it dominates. But it's the biggest sporting event in the world, and it's coming to New Jersey. So um, enough of me babbling. Let me get into the nitty-gritty details. So um, this is this is actually funny. So because FIFA isn't paid by American stadium sponsors, 
every stadium for the 2026 World Cup will have to change its name to the city and region stadium for for for, for the World Cup. So it's not going to be called MetLife Stadium for the World Cup when the World Cup comes around. It's actually going to be called New York, New Jersey Stadium, which it still gets me because this is not New York. It is fully implanted in Florham Park, New Jersey. This stadium is nowhere near New York. Um, so, but whatever. The Giants and Jets, both New York names. So uh, we'll call it New York, New Jersey Stadium. That's fine. Whatever. Uh, Gillette Stadium, where the Patriots play, will become Boston Stadium, even though it's not even located in Boston. Santa Clara Leave, uh, Levi Stadium in Santa Clara will be San Francisco Bay Area Stadium. That's a little bit of a mouthful. Uh, Arlington's AT&T Stadium will become Dallas Stadium. Uh, and the U.S. men's national team, I don't think the, uh, FIFA knows their geography, but you would love to see the U.S. men's national team play in multiple stadiums throughout the United States. That would be cool. Uh, that would be nice for different you know, people to be able to go and see it, it'd be more practical. Uh, I guess from a logistical standpoint, though, they can't play one match, you know, in, in say, New Jersey, and then go play the next day in California or whatever. It just wouldn't be practical or fair with jet lag, different things. So uh, the U.S. men's national team will be playing two games in L.A. and then one game in Seattle. So it's a little bit of a bummer for me on in New Jersey, but I'll take... I'll take New Jersey, New York, New Jersey Stadium um, as the World Cup final over getting to see the U.S. men's national team. And hey, you never know. Maybe they do make it to a World Cup final. Um, okay, we move on from the World Cup. We still got a couple of years for that. Two years to go. Uh, over the weekend, Steph became the latest player in the NBA to drop a 60-burger. That's right, 60 points. He was a ridiculous 22 of 38 from the field, and yet the Warriors lost to Atlanta in overtime. Oh, my God. Yeah, just crazy. How do you, I mean, I don't know how you lose when you drop 60, but in his last four losses alone, Curry has averaged 41.3 points on 52.9% shooting and 40, almost 42% from three. Uh, good news is the Warriors seem to have woken up a little bit and they've rattled off three straight wins. Um, and actually I just was looking at the standings. The Warriors are sitting in 11th spot, same as my nets, but they are one game under 500. So they're actually starting to play pretty good of late. Um, they are, I'm trying to see their last, last 10 games. Uh, I don't think I have that. Yeah. Last 10, they're six and four in the last 10. So they're playing better as of late for sure. Okay, uh, let's talk about Doc Rivers and the Milwaukee Bucks. So everybody knows by now, Adrian Griffin became a head coach. I think he was an assistant for like 15 years, finally becomes head coach of the Milwaukee Bucks. And, you know, first time head coach, you're looking for advice. You're looking for mentorship. And that mentor was Doc Rivers, who was advising. Doc Rivers, obviously not coaching this year, was advising Adrian Griffin um, on how to manage everything that comes with being a head coach. Well, after a 30 and 13 record, Adrian Griffin was fired and Doc Rivers was brought in. 
So uh, take that for what you will. Did Doc Rivers sabotage this man? Did they fire him for some other reason just because they could bring in Doc Rivers, who's more established, who, who's a better coach, um, won an NBA championship? I don't know. But they bring in Doc Rivers, and things have not gotten any better. They have actually gotten way worse. And Doc Rivers inherited the number two team in the East and has driven them into a cliff or driven them off a cliff. It's like that scene in uh, Billy Madison where it's like the O'Doyle family, you know, O'Doyle rules. And uh, they're driving the car, the whole family, and they spin on like a banana and they go over the cliff and everyone's in the car. It's like that. They're driving off the cliff and he's the he's the driver. He He's, he's driving this bus. Uh, so on Sunday, okay, let me just break it down. Doc Rivers, they're one and one and four or one and five. Yeah, one and four, I believe, since it might be one and five since he took over. Either way, it's pathetic. On Sunday, they blew a 19 point lead against Utah in the fourth quarter. They got outscored 40 to 13 in the fourth quarter. Uh, that gave them a one and three record since he took over. Uh, they've since gone on to lose two more games this week. Tuesday, they lost to the Suns, and last night, they lost to the T Wolves. So it is one and four. Uh, no. It's definitely one in five. Okay, whatever. Uh, I'm not going to harp on it. Um, what's even weirder, though, is at Doc Rivers' introductory press conference, I don't know if anybody saw this, but he, I, I don't know if he's trying to downplay play it to make Adrian Griffin look look good or what, but he was saying that he wouldn't wish this upon anybody like, wish what? Getting the job of the number two team in the East? I mean, this team, when he took them over, they had the NBA's second best offense and a healthy Dame and a healthy Giannis, two top 10 players in this league. So it's it's just baffling. But after they lost to Phoenix on Tuesday, Rivers blamed his one and four start on the following. You got to listen to this. I mean, he the excuses are just mounting and the, I mean, the Bucks have to have egg on their face right now saying, what did we just do? But, uh, you know, we tend to overreact when things don't go well too quickly. Uh, one and four, one and five. It's still very early. This team is still going to be in contention in the East. But here's what Doc Rivers had to say. Just baffling. Yeah, just, you know, the Utah game, you, you kind of knew, you know, altitude, back to back. Um, I mean, the, the, whoever scheduled a Dallas, Utah have never been on an airplane in their life, you know, uh, or no time zones, you know. So that was just a tough one. We knew that. Um, I guarantee you when they looked at that before the year started, they were like, this this was going to be a brutal game for us. Uh, end of a trip, legs, you can just see it. We've got a lot of injuries right now, so guys are playing more extended minutes. I think that's – and you know what? They're playing harder on defense. Oh, you know, they're playing they're playing so much harder on just all the excuses. Oh, whoever scheduled Dallas to to Utah, you know, what? You're you're blaming the plane ride and the schedule. Everybody has to play the same 82 game schedule as you. Yeah, things happen back to backs, whatever. It is what it is, but right now when you're losing, nobody wants to hear these BS excuses from your coach. And then Doc Rivers, he's also trying to play this nice guy act where he's saying he should not be the head coach of the East in the all-star game, which he's going to be. He's saying that he's not taking any of his assistants uh, currently 
the only the Bucks assistants that were on the team when Adrian Griffin was the coach, uh, just bizarre stuff. And he's given Adrian Griffin the ring and everything and, and the salary bonus, whatever that comes with it. Uh, I mean, you, you just, I'm not buying any of it. I'm not, I'm uh, listen, I'm not a doc rivers hater, but I'm just not buying any of it. You were brought in. First of all, I think it's very shady. The circumstances surrounding, uh, you getting this job, leaving ESPN, you were working at ESPN, first of all, where part of your daily job when, when you're doing these big national games for ESPN is to talk to coaches of the of teams and to prepare for you always hear it when um, you listen to like Sunday night football or Monday night football, the announcers actually say, oh, when we met with Jalen Hurts or uh, when we met with um you know, Brock Purdy or Christian McCaffrey or, you know, whoever, Patrick Mahomes uh, earlier this week, they told us the game plan to win uh, this week was this or that, or they divulged, you know, little things, little secrets. So Doc Rivers was was in those meetings with other teams, with other coaches getting information and also advising Adrian Griffin. So he could have been spilling these secrets or these things that other coaches were talking about. And now he takes over the team knowing these things. It's just the whole, the whole situation is weird and I'm just not buying any of it. Milwaukee's in shambles right now, even though they shouldn't be, uh, they have a great roster and to make matters even worse, who saw the video last night, Robin Lopez, who is the brother of Brooke Lopez, who actually I didn't even know was still in the league, but he was a backup center on the Milwaukee Bucks. I don't think he's played much uh, this year, but they traded him yesterday. And for some reason, Robin Lopez still decided to show up to the Bucks game and he was reading a book, had no interest in paying attention to the game and he's reading a book. So I don't know what's going on, what's in the water in Milwaukee right now, but they need to clean their act up because this is just a bad look all around. Everything is going sideways for them. Everything. It's it's insane. Insane. All right. Um, speaking of things going sideways and distractions and everything else, it's Super Bowl week or Super Bowl weekend now. Uh you never want a distraction leading up to the biggest game of your life. And I say this is the, the biggest game of his life in terms of Patrick Mahomes because this is the now, this is the present. This Super Bowl is the biggest game of his life right now. If he makes the Super Bowl next year, then that game will be the most important of his life. But this is the most important game of his life. And Patrick Mahomes Sr., uh, or did I just say that? Uh, Patrick Mahomes' father, okay, Um. His dad was for the, not first, not the first, not the second, not the third. No, it was the third. Um, Yeah, Pat Mahomes Sr. I guess he goes by Pat Mahomes and uh, Patrick Mahomes, the quarterback, goes by Patrick. So, yeah, it's Pat Mahomes Sr. technically. Um was arrested for his third DUI. I don't know. This happened in Texas somewhere. Either way, it's it's not a good look. It shouldn't happen. Your son is worth half a billion dollars. 
Why don't you have a car service? Why can't you call an Uber? Whatever the case may be. You were a major league baseball player. You were a pitcher for a couple of years. You made a couple million dollars. You're not broke or you shouldn't be, but clearly you have a drinking problem. And now your son has to deal with questions all week leading up to the biggest game of his life. You're just a distraction, yada, yada, yada. It's, it's not a good look. We all know what happened uh, what a distraction it caused. Now, granted, totally different circumstances. Okay. Um, but Andy Reid's son, Britt Reid, remember a few years ago before the Super Bowl, um, the Chiefs, uh, what was he, the tight ends coach maybe at the time for the Chiefs? He was part of that staff. He was, stayed late at the facility. I guess he was drinking and he was driving home. There was an off-ramp or an exit ramp that he was coming off of. And there was two, a car that was broken down with a family. They had called, um, I guess, other family members to come help them. They had run out of gas and he was drinking and he hit the one car and then hit the other car. And a little girl inside the first car uh, uh, was was in a coma for like days or a couple weeks and irreversible brain damage. She's never been the same. And he's serving, I believe, two or three years in prison for that. And uh, the Chiefs just were not able to overcome that. That was a, that had to be tough for Andy Reid. But again, that totally different circumstances. This situation is um, not relating to a staff member of the Chiefs, number one. And number two, luckily, nobody else, nobody was hurt or injured. He didn't kill anybody. He didn't crash his car or anything like that. Um, but again, it's a distraction nonetheless, and it's not what you need. And if the Chiefs lose this game, you have to wonder if this plays a role, if this played a role, if Patrick Mahomes does not play well, is this, is this, you know, going to, going to be what, you know, he looks back on and people say was a distraction for him. Now, if anyone could overcome something like this, it's definitely Patrick Mahomes. He's the best quarterback in the NFL right now. Could go down as the greatest of all time. I'm not there yet. Physically, uh, you know, as physically gifted as anyone I've ever seen personally. Of course, I didn't, you know, I wasn't alive to see the Marinos or, you know, some of the older generation of quarterbacks, the Joe Montanas, even the Steve Youngs. I was too little, too young for that type of stuff. But, uh, you know, all the greats. Um, but, yeah, if anyone could overcome it, it's him. I personally... Don't think it will affect him, but it's just another storyline that you have to pay attention to. And I'm actually I've been teetering back and forth. I'm not touching money lines or spreads in this game. I want the Niners to win, um, but I I just I I think I think my the gut my gut tells me that the Chiefs are going to pull this one out. Unfortunately. Okay, um, where are my baseball fans at? The Royals got in on the spending spree, finally. Uh, the Royals, not a team that you think of, or, or when you think of teams spending money, you don't think of the Royals. But uh, they became big spenders. They signed their young phenom shortstop, Bobby Witt Jr., to an $11 million, $288.7 million extension. Oh, my God. I think I said eleven million. It's an eleven-year contract extension. Uh, this was on Monday. It is the most lucrative deal in Royals franchise history, probably by far too. And it does include options to raise that number to three hundred and seventy-seven point seven million. 
So good for Bobby Wood Jr. He's one of the best. If you don't really know who he is, you don't follow the Royals much. Um, he's a stud. Okay, the NFL is obviously the most popular and lucrative sport in America, speaking of numbers. And for whatever reason, they continue to try and expand into other markets. I just read, after what I'm about to tell you, I read after that today, just a little while ago, that they are going to have games now in Spain next year um, as well. So uh, we just saw this past year, they played games for the first time, I believe, in Germany. Obviously, they play in London. Um, well, next season, the Eagles will be the first ever, uh, ever they will be taking part in the first ever NFL game in South America. This game will be played in Sao Paulo, Brazil. I don't know who their opponent is going to be, but what's even weirder about this, it's one thing you want to expand to a uh, predominantly soccer-centric uh, country, which I don't know how you're going to try to break that glass ceiling and get through to soccer fans. Uh, you know, football to them is soccer. So good luck. Uh, maybe it'll work. Who knows? But I think it's a little weird. Not to mention this game is going to be played on a Friday when most Americans are at Friday night football because that's when high schools play football. So most Americans, you, you know, your target audience that watches football is going to be preoccupied at high school games. Uh, so they're going to miss most of this game. Uh, so to me, I just don't understand it. Why is it going to be on a Friday? It, it makes no sense. Any other day of the week, put it on a Thursday, just like normal. Put it on a Saturday even. I mean, uh, it's just, well, you got college football on Saturdays, but still, Friday? Friday, I get what they're trying to do, but I do the chains at high school football games, so I will probably miss this game myself or or miss a lot of it. And again, you, you're trying to expand the NFL and you, it's all about dollar signs for Goodell. And because at the end of the day, it's a business. You want your fans betting on sports, right? The Super Bowl is the most bet on sport sporting event in America. And if people can't watch the game, I hate to tell you, unless they're an absolute degenerate gambler, they are not betting on the game if they can't watch it. So if I'm at a, a high school football game and I'm working, I'm probably not betting this game and you're probably not getting my money. Although I am kind of a degenerate gambler, but not really. So, but I still might bet on this game. We'll see. Depends who they're playing. If I see a lock, I'll take it and I'll pay attention to the game on the sidelines. All I do is hold the chains. Okay. Um, we know Bill Belichick won't be coaching in 2024 and it's a little bit bizarre. There was teams, everybody talked about, they got scared by him wanting control over, you know, draft picks and basically being the quasi GM. But I just saw a report early, like a couple hours ago or earlier today that Arthur Blank said they never had those discussions about Belichick taking over that in that kind of role as well as being head coach. So then if that's the case, why was he not hired? as your head coach. So it's a little bit bizarre, but enough about Bill Belichick. Let's talk about his son, Stephen Belichick. He was the Patriots outside linebackers coach. And I think safety's coach before that um, under his dad for a number of years. 
He's actually heading to Washington to take over as defensive coordinator for the Huskies, who obviously just finished as runners up in the national championship loss to Michigan. Um, a little bit about Stephen, if you don't know, since Brian Flores left the staff back in 2019, Belichick had assumed defensive play calling duties. And in Super Bowl, they won, I think he won three Super Bowls there with his dad. In Super Bowl 53, that was the one in which the Patriots defeated the Rams. It was the lowest scoring Super Bowl in NFL history. And you got to credit Stephen Belichick with a lot of that because he was calling the plays uh, alongside his dad. They ran, uh, I was reading up on this today, they ran a whole lot of 6-1. Six, uh, six Stacking the box with six, one guy back, and um, it stifled Jared Goff. He threw for like maybe 280, but no touchdowns. They only scored three points. And I've been reading a lot up on uh, up. I've been reading up a lot on this coming Super Bowl 58 on Sunday, and I'm hearing that um, Spagnola is going to run a similar game plan with the six one. They've run it a few times this season with success. They might not run it every play, but the goal is to obviously get the ball out of McCaffrey's hands and force, um, the ball into Purdy's hands and make Purdy win this game because he's a young, of course, seventh rounder, Mr. Irrelevant, and he hasn't looked too great the last couple of games or when he's, you know, under pressure. And being that this is his fourth, uh, his first Super Bowl appearance, um, he could be a little rattled. And Spagnola, I think, has the better defense. I can't believe I'm saying that. But that defense has been unbelievable this year. That's it's the it's really the reason they're they are where they are, because this is the worst Chiefs team that they've had since Mahomes. Like, no question, in my opinion. And um they're going to be without Joe Joe Tooney as well, um, their standout offensive lineman, um, Pro Bowl offensive lineman. So that's going to be a big blow there. But it didn't seem to stop them against the Ravens. So we'll see. Uh, their only hope is Nick Bosa, really, because they haven't been getting pressure to the quarterback. And then, of course, the Chiefs are going to want to run the ball. But uh, yeah, so uh, back to back to what I was talking about. Um, Congrats to Stephen Belichick. And he's a Rutgers guy. He played lacrosse and football at Rutgers. So uh, that's pretty cool. Went to my uh, same alma mater. So uh, yeah, good for him. Okay, uh, this is a this is uh, an interesting one. Not many people might have seen this. And it's still, there's a lot to come on this legality issues. And this is going to drag on for a while. But it's definitely noteworthy. So on Monday, the National Labor Relations Board, the NLRB, ruled that players on Dartmouth men's basketball team should be considered employees, also calling for an election which could create the NCAA's first ever labor union. Uh, this is not the first time such a ruling has been made in regards to college sports. We saw this once before. Um with Northwestern's football uh, team back in 2015. However, um, that one and, and this one as well was appealed at a national level. So it was overturned with the Northwestern one. This one can be appealed. I don't think it has been yet, but they have a better standing for a couple of reasons. The climate around college sports is different now with the implementation of NIL for athletes and a shift in some public opinion, as well as the um, Ivy Leagues are private colleges. 
So I, they have a different set of rules and whatnot. And there's a very good likelihood that this will stand up from what I was reading today. So um, I'm going to keep an eye on that because I'm I'm very intrigued by this because the whole landscape of college athletics is just taking off to an astronomical level. And it's, it's kind of like the runaway train with no brakes. It's getting a little bit out of control. So this is very interesting. So I'm going to keep an eye out for that and I'll report back in the coming weeks when more comes out. Okay, Dodgers pitcher Clayton Kershaw will return to the team in 2024. He had a chance to sign, actually, with his hometown Texas Rangers, who just won a World Series, but he opted to go back to the only team that he's ever played for. The 35-year-old's new contract even has a player option for 2015. What does that mean? Well, that means he could be in the rotation with Otani because we know Otani won't be pitching this year with the elbow injury, so that could be intriguing um the key for for kershaw is if he's going to stay healthy or not and be able to help them uh come postseason or come playoff time but uh yeah and there's still a couple free agents out there uh, a handful of them you got blake snell and jordan montgomery a couple other lefty pitchers waiting to see what's going on with them but i think basically all these guys that are left cody bellinger etc they're all scott boris guys and we all know scott boris sometimes he swings he swings for the fences and he misses and he's asking for a lot of money for some of these clients that are still left over on the table right now. And spring training started. Uh, pitchers and catchers have reported for the Dodgers. I think it's the first time in history that pitchers and catchers have reported before the Super Bowl. And San Diego Padres report tomorrow. Most of the other teams will be reporting next week. I think Mets and Yankees are Thursday or Thursday, Friday, sometime in there. Um, so yeah, I can't believe it's time. My softball season, uh, our college season is like literally a month away, uh, which is a little bit crazy because the weather is not up to par right now. It's been, it was, it's in the fifties a couple times this week. It was like in the mid to high fifties today, not really much sun, but, um, yeah, could be playing in like 30 degree weather. Okay, um, in other baseball news, Jose Altuve agreed to a five-year, $125 million extension with the Astros, so congrats to him. Um, in some other football news, haven't talked about Jim Harbaugh in a minute, Jim Harbaugh has filled his two coordinator positions with the Chargers. Jesse Minter, I think I mentioned that a while back, it's official now, he will follow him from Michigan to serve as defensive coordinator and none other than Greg Roman will serve as offensive coordinator. And yes, it's the Greg Roman. Uh, Jim Harbaugh goes way back with Greg, back to Stanford. He was his offensive coordinator at Stanford, followed him to the 49ers. He's coached with um, John Harbaugh for a number of years as their offensive coordinator. So now he reunites with uh, Jim Harbaugh there. Um, so uh, that that's actually a move that makes total sense. And I think the Chargers are trending in the right direction. So we'll see if uh, this success that he had at Michigan and the success he had with San Francisco can translate back to the NFL. And Greg Roman, by the way, did not know this New Jersey guy, born and raised right around the Atlantic City area. Um, so that's pretty cool. Okay, Wrigley Field is set to host the 2025 Winter Classic. The Blackhawks will face off against the St. Louis Blues, and it's obvious what's going on here. Connor Bedard, the 18-year-old phenom, number one pick, 
um, is on the Blackhawks. They're not a good team, but they are trying to force feed us Connor Bedard. He should have been in the all-star game and festivities, but he got hurt right before that. Uh, he's unbelievable. And he looks like he's about 12 years old. Reminds me of like Macaulay Culkin in uh, home alone, you know, just this sophisticated kid stuck by himself. Um, and he's like, you know, in, in home alone too, he's going to, um, hotels and he's, and, and he's just, He's duping, you know, these people that work there, getting a hotel room, ordering food, ordering pizza, just it, it's hilarious. But uh, yeah, so they want they want to force feed us. Nothing wrong with that, but they're trying to push him in front of, you know, try to get the younger generation of fans. So uh, that should be a cool one. Blackhawks against the St. Louis Blues. It marks the Blackhawks fourth winter classic and a league leading seventh outdoor game. Um, so yeah, that's pretty cool there. Uh, I got some more hockey stuff coming up, so stay tuned. Actually, right now, I put it right here. Okay, Edmonton, the Edmonton Oilers. Last week, I spoke about how they had a 16-game winning streak, uh, one shy of tying the record. And of course, it came at the worst time because it was all-star break, so they had to wait like a week and a half to play again. And everybody knows that is not a good sign. And of course, what happened? They lost their first game post-All-Star break and did not tie the record. Uh, the team that knocked them out of the playoffs less than nine months ago, it was Golden Knights. It was Vegas. The Golden Knights, yep, they're the ones. They lost that game 3-1. to one. Uh, That was the other night. But um, they actually had a one uh lead in this game, and then Vegas rattled off three in a row. Uh, just a tough pill to swallow. They were trying to tie a record that has been long-standing since actually the year I was born. Uh, that would be the Penguins' 17-game win streak from the 92-93 season, which is really hard to hard to imagine. That's 31 years ago. Um, Phil Mickelson, this is a crazy one. So Live Golf came out with like this media guide for the season or whatever. And in there, Phil Mickelson claims to have made in his lifetime 47 holes in one. I, I, I mean, can you imagine? Oh, my God. I could play golf for the rest of my life. And I'm 31 years old, so I could play golf. My grandfather is 92 and he still plays golf. OK, so we have good genes in my family. Theoretically speaking, Um so if you think about that as of right now, how many rounds of golf have I played in my lifetime up till now? I mean, hundreds, probably not that many hundreds, maybe a couple hundred, but, but, um, I, I don't know. That, that's a tough call if it's that many, but I think I played 28 rounds this past year of 2023. So you figure I play about that many rounds. Let's just round it up to like 30 rounds a year. Uh, cause I don't play as much as, you know, like my dad who's retired, who plays like three times a week. Um, so, but once I get to that point, you know, I play 30, 30 rounds a year and my dad is, I'm not going to say his age or anything, but he has one hole in one in his lifetime and he's been playing golf, um, for a long, long time. Uh, I, he got into it a little bit later than, than I did. He, he brought me up on it when I was younger than he when he first got into it and same with my grandfather he got into it a little bit later he was a baseball kind of guy as well um 
as my dad. So he got into it probably around maybe late 20s or even 30s. I don't know. Uh, but my grandfather used to be like a pretty decent like scratch golfer. But at, the point I'm making is, or maybe it was like a, I don't know. I think he told me once he was like an eight handicap maybe. So maybe not quite a scratch. But anyway, um, or maybe four. I don't know. The point being is my dad has one hole in one. And my grandfather, uh, he definitely has a few. I want to say he has maybe four, four or five, something like that, I think he's told me. So the fact that Mickelson has 47, and granted, Mickelson has played more rounds of golf probably in his college career or leading up and through his college career than I will ever play in my lifetime. That's like, because that's his life. Um but it's unfathomable, 47. So I was saying before, I'm 31. If I play for another 60 years, which is very possible, that'll get me to 91 years old, right? And I don't think I'll be playing, I would be playing good golf by then, but still, if I'm playing, I'm swinging a club, I'd be swinging it pretty pretty decently. Because there's some people out there that are about to you know, die on the golf course and they can barely swing a club, get it behind their net, you know, their head and actually, you know, take a full swing. If I can't take a full swing and I'm limping on the golf course and things like that, and I'm that old, I will not be playing. That just to me won't be fun because I won't be able to play good or play well. But if I could theoretically play for 60 more years, all right, uh, realistically, how many hole in ones can I hit? Um, the answer is 100% less than 10. It's probably less than five. And I get it. I'm not a professional. But if you take, by comparison, Phil Mickelson, is he the greatest golfer in the history of golf? Absolutely not. That is Jack Nicholas, or even if you wanted to make the claim, Tiger Woods. Um, put Tiger Woods in his prime versus Jack in his prime. And I think Tiger would probably win, but of course, different errors, et cetera. Uh, but that's not what we're really, we're not here to compare them. I'm just, for example, those are the two best golfers. That's like the LeBron and, and uh, MJ argument, right? You got one A and one B. And neither of those guys has more than 21. In fact, uh, where am I at? Tiger has 20. And three of them occurred in PGA events where they were probably televised or people actually saw them. Now, Arnold Palmer has 21 or had 21 and Jack also claims 20. Mickelson has five in PGA events. Okay, so that's more than, you know, Tiger, five that we know of. So where that, but where the hell did the other 42 come from? It's just moronic to, to think of that, that, that this guy has 42 other hole in one, holes in one. I mean, did some of them occur in college, high school? Uh, I, I don't know. It's crazy. Excuse me. I uh, just, it baffles me. And so there was actually a poll. This was on The Athletic that was reporting this. 82.5% <clears throat> do not believe Mickelson has 47 holes in one, including myself. Okay, and uh, actually, I'll stay with the golf because I was talking about it before. The Waste Management um, Phoenix Open, that's the one with the par, 16, uh, par 3 16th where they go crazy and throw the beers if you get a hole in one or, or whatever. They were throwing cups on the green, actually, when guys were getting uh, birdies.
Um, Nick Taylor, the Canadian, I mentioned him earlier. He shot a 60 uh, today, I believe. He's tied for first place at 12 under. Some of the, go- the, the, the scores in golf over the last couple of weeks have been astronomical, absolutely astronomical. Um, there was a guy on the Corn Ferry Tour who uh, I should have it in my notes here somewhere that actually shot a 57, which was the um, lowest round in history. So, uh, yeah, I do have that in a little bit. Um, I'll get to that in a little bit. So let's get back to where I was. Okay. Um, the New York Giants, excuse me, not the New York Giants, um, the Patriots are bringing in former New York Giants head coach Ben McAdoo. Uh, he will be part of their offensive staff. He'll he'll be an offensive assistant. McAdoo makes a little bit of sense because McAdoo and offensive coordinator Alex Van Pelt um, worked closely together on the same staff in with Green Bay in 2020. 12 to 2013 um McAdoo did not coach in the NFL he sat out this this season after he was uh fired from his offense coordinator duties with the Carolina Panthers um and that's fine the Patriots are in free fall and McAdoo is not a good coach uh everybody in these parts or at least I do call him McAdoo do because uh yikes he was bad with the Giants um, speaking of former head coaches, Nick Saban is joining college game day. I think this was kind of a given he's, he's made, he's no stranger to the program. He's made appearances in the past. Uh, he'll now serve as an official analyst. He'll probably not, probably he will get paid. Not that he needs it. Um, and he'll be on set with ESPN as well as across sec network. Uh, this was a surprise move, especially considering she's on, you know, TNT, NBA on TNT with, um, you know, Chuck and Charles and Kenny Smith and them boys. Uh, Candace Parker is signing back with the Las Vegas Aces on a one-year deal. She missed most of last season with a foot injury. I think she played only like 16 games and, you know, many thought she was going to retire. She's 37 years old, but nope. She is coming back for another year, and um, I think she's won three championships with three different teams, so look out there. Okay, Tiger Woods, more golf news. He will make his 2024 debut next week in L.A. at the Genesis Invitational, which he hosts. This will be his first full-field event since the 2023 Masters, and also this will be the first time we see him in his new uh, clothing line that he partnered with Taylor made on. So I'm, I'm very interested to see that. I want to know if there's, you know, it's going to be some advertisements for that or some, you know, places to go, or if he's going to be tweeting anything, um, about where to buy the apparel or if there's going to be any maybe discounts or sales. Cause I know that stuff's going to run crazy, uh, prices because golf apparel is insanely expensive. Well, golf in general is expensive sport. Okay, NBA trade deadline. Let's get to the nitty gritty. I'm going to breeze through the rest of this show because we're dragging on. Uh, here are all the big deals that went down. I don't think this is probably all, all of them, but this is enough. The Knicks went all in. They acquired uh, 
Boyan Bogdanovich and Alec Burks from the last place Pistons for Evan Fournier. About time they got rid of him. Malachi Flynn, who you might not have even known was with the Knicks. He was here for like five minutes, came over in that trade with Precious and OG uh, from Toronto and two second round picks. I was reading up on this Knicks trade. They now have like four guys that are shooting over 40% from three or something like that, which is by far the most in the NBA. And I know Boyan very well. He he, he was first discovered by my Brooklyn Nets. Um, and he's a solid scorer. He's a little bit older now, so I don't know how much you know he'll be able to give them, but he's definitely an upgrade. Um, and and they need they need some extra scoring. Uh, he's like a three and D guy. Uh, he'll help them as will Burks. Uh, what else we got? This is a surprising. This is a surprising move that not many people know. Um, the Thunder, who are just half a game back coming in tonight to tonight, games are being played as we speak, half a game back of the one seed in the West. They picked up Gordon Hayward from the Hornets in exchange for Trey Mann and Davis Bertans. Um, the I, I, I hinted at this earlier. The Philadelphia Sixers, who are in free fall, I think they've fallen to the fifth spot in the East as of right now, just half a game up on the Pacers, are in desperate need of offensive help. Now that Embiid is out, they acquired Buddy Heald from Indiana while uh, shipping out Patrick Beverly to Milwaukee. Um, my Brooklyn Nets made a couple of moves for the better. The Nets traded away Royce O'Neal to the Suns. That's a, all right. I liked Royce O'Neal a little bit, but he was nowhere near the player he was in Utah. Uh, he was expendable. That was a three-team deal. Deal. We got three second-round picks. That just baffles me because second-round picks in the NBA are useless, in my opinion. But anyway, they also shipped Spencer Dinwiddie to Toronto for Dennis Schroeder and Thaddeus Young. Huge upgrade. Dennis Schroeder has been a top 85 player this year. Um, I go based off fantasy numbers because that's what, what what I saw. He, he's number currently ranked 84th in fantasy basketball. And Thaddeus Young, this will be his second stint with the Nets. He's he's decent. He's solid veteran. Fine. Uh, the Toronto Raptors are waving Dinwiddie, so he will be free to sign anywhere he pleases. And everything I'm hearing says he's going to go back to Dallas. So not only did the Nets get fleeced in the uh, Kyrie Irving deal, they gave them Kyrie Irving. We got Dorian Finney-Smith and Dinwiddie and maybe a pick or two, whatever it was. I don't remember it uh, now, but now it was basically just we got Dorian Finney-Smith. Oh, wait, we got uh, Dennis Smith. Uh, as well, I think. But uh, yeah, they're just going to get Dinwiddie back. And I'm actually kind of glad that I kept Dinwiddie on my fantasy team now because I was super close to dropping him recently. And now that he got traded and he's probably going to sign back with Dallas, get back in that starting rotation with them. And he's probably going to be a solid 15 and five type of guy, uh, which is what I desperately need if I'm going to win this championship. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited that he's finally gone because his second stint with the Nets was just a joke. Uh, players that should have been traded or we thought were going to be traded but ended up staying put. Uh, DeJounte Murray and Bruce Brown. Both are, are surprises in my opinion. Um, but Atlanta's been playing a lot better of late. So maybe they feel that they can make a little run here. Um, Bruce Brown, the Raptors are in full rebuild. They're, the team they started the season with is 
emphatically not the team that they currently have right now. Uh, they acquired, remember, don't forget, um, IQ, um, Emmanuel Quickly, and RJ Barrett earlier in the season. Um, you know, just a number of moves that they've made. And Bruce Brown is a little bit on the older side, and he doesn't seem to factor into your to your um, future plans. And he definitely could have helped a contender. I mean, he helped the Nuggets, played significant a significant role, played significant minutes last year, and helped them win an NBA title. So it's just shocking that they ended up not trading him. Uh, that's pretty much all I've got NBA-wise. There's not much more I want to really get into. Uh, but let's quickly run through. Last night, NFL awards honors were, were announced. Uh, no real surprise here. Well, one. Uh, maybe two. C.J. Stroud and Will Anderson Jr. won Offensive and Defensive Rookie of the Year awards. Christian McCaffrey won Offensive Player of the Year, and Miles Garrett won Deep Defensive Player of the Year. The shock to me was Kevin Stefanski winning Coach of the Year. This now for the second time, and I think I read that he's the youngest coach. I think he's 41 uh, to win it twice. Uh, and then Lamar, I believe is the youngest player ever, or I think actually, yeah, he's the youngest player to win it twice. Um, and also, he's the only player to win two MVPs and a Heisman ever. And I don't know, these people voting must be Browns fans because Joe Flacco won Comeback Player of the Year, which to me is a little bit BS. I'm glad DeMar Hamlin didn't win it because he really didn't play at all. Um, so he, he didn't do anything on the field. This was an award that was, that was going to go to him just solely based on the fact that he survived a heart attack on the field. Um, but I think the award should have went to Brees Hall personally. I, I just don't think Flacco played enough. Um, and then, yeah, Baker was in there. I just look at this as a, an award that should go to somebody who's overcome an injury and came back. Like next year, Aaron Rodgers should win this award because he had an injury and he came back. I get that Flacco came off the couch out of retirement. That's also coming back. But I don't think he played enough games. If he played more games, I'd be fine with him winning it. Uh, as far as Baker, I mean, what did he come back from? Anonymity? Just sucking on four or five teams in the last year? I mean, fine storyline. He won the division, took over the Bucks' starting job in year one, going to get himself paid. It's great, but I don't think he deserved to be on that list. And even if he did, not ahead of Brees Hall, who didn't even make the top three. So a little weird there. Um, also, Steelers. Uh, the Steelers' Cam Hayward was named Walter Payton Man of the Year. That's always a prestigious honor for everyone. Um, and... During NFL Honors last night, the Pro Football Hall of Fame announced its 2024 class, which includes Julius Peppers, Andre Johnson, Dwight Freeney, Patrick Willis, and Devin Hester. couple of Bears on this list, so it's looking like, I believe Adam Schefter tweeted this, that the Bears will probably be in the Hall of Fame game in Canton in August. Um, the five modern era selections won out over 10 other finalists in ballot voting that took place on January 17th by the Hall's 50-member selection committee. Uh, Caitlin Clark scored 27 points in Iowa's win over Penn State last night. She is now 
39 points shy of Kelsey Plum's NCAA women's basketball scoring record. Uh, we It's time to start keeping track of that. They next play Nebraska on Sunday, and she has scored 39 or more points three times this season, so keep an eye out. Uh, she's closing in on Pistol Pete's record also, which I know a lot of people, myself included, don't really want to see her break. Uh, Pistol Pete did that before a three-point line, by the way. Um, yesterday, Cristobal Del Solar, if I'm pronouncing his name right, he's the guy that shot a 57. Uh, actually, was that? Yeah, I think that was yesterday. Um, at a Corn Ferry Tour event. So a guy not even on the real PGA Tour, who's basically in the minor leagues, shot the lowest score ever recorded at a PGA-sanctioned tournament. This just proves how good these guys are and how hard of a sport golf is. Guys can hit 100-mile-an-hour pitches, 95-mile-an-hour Jacob deGrom sliders sometimes, but you get the point. They can hit a ball moving that fast that you have a tenth of a second to decide whether you're swinging or not or what pitch it is. And yet, golfing, hitting a ball that's stationary and not moving is harder than that, in my opinion. And these guys are doing it at such a high... I'm seeing, I've been seeing multiple guys shooting 60s of late and then a 57. And this guy isn't even a known player. Again, minor leagues type stuff. It's crazy. It takes nothing away from the fact that he shot a 57 either. Unreal. Um, former TCU coach Gary Patterson is joining arch-rival Baylor's staff. This is a little bit of a shocker. He will serve as a senior-level strategic consultant. Patterson is 63. He spent 25 years with the Horned Frogs. That's why I think this is a little bit crazy. That would be like a Yankee lifer going and working for the Red Sox. Um, and Baylor is their biggest rival. Uh, he was 22. He spent 22 years, excuse me, as head coach of TCU, going 181 and 79 until he was fired in 2021 after a string of underwhelming seasons. I remember that, actually. Uh, this will be Patterson's second off-field coaching gig since he departed from TCU. He was actually, I didn't realize this, he was on uh, Texas's staff as a special assistant to Steve Sarkeesian in 2022. Just a little bizarre, but things may be ended bitterly um, that he's going to their arch rival. Okay, I reported a couple weeks ago that Bill O'Brien was taking the offense coordinator job at Ohio State. Well, once again, I was wrong. Uh, fast forward to today, Bill O'Brien has become the head coach at Boston College. So Ohio State, they needed an offensive coordinator. That's where UCLA's one and only head coach, Chip Kelly, comes into the picture. This is the most bizarre story of the year to date, in my opinion, sports story. UCLA is transitioning to the Big Ten this year, along with UCLA, Washington. And Chip Kelly, I presume, makes a whole lot of money. Now, I did see Chip Kelly was interested in an offensive coordinator position or possibly going back to the NFL in that capacity. But never in a million years did I think he was going to leave his head coaching job in college to take a coordinator position at another university in your same conference now. 
but that's what's happening. Chip Kelly is leaving UCLA, was not fired as head coach. No, actually got them back the last couple of years to somewhat prominence. And he's leaving as head coach to go be Ryan Day's offensive coordinator. It is absolutely weird. It is shocking. It is, I, I want to know the motivation behind it because now you have to play UCLA. You're both in the Big Ten. So this is just insane. Insane. There, there has to be something behind it. Maybe you want it to scale back, just dealing with this NIL BS, having to kiss ass to these players. Maybe it's too much, but it's got to be. It, it, there's no way you're making the same amount of money at all. And getting into the Big Ten, you're going to make even more money now if you stayed at UCLA because of the, the right TV rights deal. The Big Ten and the SEC are the two biggest Power Five conferences in the in, in, in you know, in, in uh in college sports. Actually, I don't even think you can say call it the Big Five anymore because the Pac-12 is like the Pac-2, and that's going to cease to exist. Whatever. It's just weird all around. Very weird. Um, in other Big Ten coordinator news, Michigan is bringing in another big-time name. Giants, former Giants defensive coordinator Wink Martindale will serve as defensive coordinator at Michigan. That's a little surprising. Definitely a good get. All right, we're done. We're done. Let's get to my predictions for the Super Bowl real quick before we finish up. Um, I Again, I said I'm not betting one way or the other, Chiefs or 49ers. What I will tell you is this. Orange will be the Gatorade color. I don't know who's singing the national anthem, so I can't say whether it's going to go over or under, but I'm an overs guy, so I'll take over. Um, I saw a decent bet. I'm not going to bet this one, but... Over 13 and a half points in the fourth quarter. If you think it's going to be tight, there might be a lot of points scored in the fourth quarter. I think 49ers uh, minus 0.5 first half spread is actually a decent bet. Last time they played in the Super Bowl, they they had a 20 to 10 lead. They blew it late. Um, that could be a decent bet, except for the fact that they were getting blown blown out in the first half against Detroit. So I don't know. That could go either way. I'm probably not going to touch that. Although half a point is a solid bet. Um, I love Isaiah Pacheco over rushing. I think it's 66 or so. Uh, they're going to try to establish the run a lot. I think Mahomes, I, what is he, over under one and a half touchdown passes? It's hard for me to say under or take any unders with that, but I really believe they're going to lean on that run, so that might hit. Um. What else do I like? I like George Kittle. I believe the line is at three and a half receptions. He only had two in the NFC championship game. And I don't know why. Um, but once they started to get him going, got those couple, that one reception down the sideline that got things going. I think he can get the four receptions. And mostly because I think they're going to have to throw it a lot more than they've been in the past. I really do. Uh, so I like Pacheco. I really like that bet as well. Um, and I think the Gatorade color is going to be orange. I think I said that already. So I'm not going to go too crazy. I have a $100 box pool that I'm doing. I got I got the numbers one and two. Not very good. Not great. One is great. Uh, one for the 49ers, but two for the Chiefs. So I need some miracle. I need a safety. I need... I need, uh, you know, four field goals, maybe. That's my only chance. I don't know, 22. Like, I, I don't, I, I need something to go my way. Maybe, uh, you know, a 
two-point conversion, three touchdowns, a two-point conversion, why they would do that, who knows, but you never know Um, with, in this day and age. I know people love to bet the octopus too. That's the same player that scores a touchdown, scores a two-point conversion. Uh, I'm not, that's a waste of money. People are putting money on Sam Darnold to win MVP at 300 to one odds or something. That's incredibly stupid, but whatever. It's the most bet on sporting event in America. Good luck to everybody with their picks. I want the Niners to win. I just think the Chiefs are going to win. Um, and I hope we see Taylor Swift as little as possible. I know Usher's doing the halftime show. It's what it is what it is, but I'm actually looking forward to the commercials this year more than probably the game. Um, because as good as this game is on paper, I don't know. Maybe as we get to it on Sunday, I'll, I'll, I'll be more in, into it. I'm just kind of ready for the season to be over and and, uh, and and just get 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 me to next year ready because this season with the Jets was a disaster. The latest, uh, Woody Johnson, he's speaking at the NFL Honors yesterday, and he says we've got to get a quarterback because we didn't have – or a backup quarterback because we didn't have one last year. Just – Totally disrespecting Zach Wilson, like clearly hates him. But I, I mean, this starts from the top and trickles on down. Um, Woody Johnson has been the root of all our problems, and we just can't win with this guy as owner. He he doesn't know what he's doing, whether it's him or his brother. It's just I, I cannot believe he he made those comments. But I'm not gonna digress and rant about my Jets. All right, episode is we're we're winding down here on this day in sports. I have something for you. Had to you know, really search the internet for this one, but I found something. February 9th, 1980, Rick Barry of the Houston Rockets became the first player in NBA history to make eight three-pointers in a game against the Nets. Rick Barry is famous for shooting free throws underhanded. Bet a lot of you didn't know that, at least my younger audience. Um, What's crazy about this is that 1980, that was the first year the three-point line was instituted in the NBA, and the record wasn't even broken the next year or for the next nine years. It took it stood for 10 years, Rick Barry's record. And of course, now it's it's unbelievable what these guys can do shooting a basketball. Clay Thompson once made nine threes in um a quarter, and he hold he's actually the record holder. He made 14 threes in a game against the Bulls on October 29th, 2008. Just unbelievable, unbelievable. And we've got guys that score 81 points. Shout out Kobe. Um, he's getting a statue for that 81 point game, actually, uh, which is pretty cool. Um, let's see. Uh, so, yeah, uh, that's pretty much it. Uh, like I said, we've got the Super Bowl this weekend. We've got NBA action. Uh, guys that were traded should start to suit up. I know Dennis Schroeder is going to make his debut with the Nets tomorrow night. Again, game's on right now. Uh, I don't know if there's any UFC this weekend. Don't really care about that. It's all about the Super Bowl. And, uh, yeah, with that being said, ladies and gents, I ran a little bit long on this episode. But with that being said, I'm the Pody signing off. Thanks for listening to episode 233 of This Week in Sports. Deuces.